Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we discuss the people that are protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Krista Art, the Chief Information Security Officer at I'm going to say UMP, but it stands for United Musculoskeletal Partners. How's that for a mouthful? I'm going to tell you I've worked here for about a year and I still call it UMP as oh, does I think awesome. almost everybody we work with. All right. Well, that's good. We'll refer to it as UMP. Really interesting organization. I checked out the website before this call, but go ahead and just tell us, Krista, a little bit about UMP, your mission and, and what are you focused on? Sure. So UMP is a national network of orthopedic practices. We are represented in three different states right now across the country. I think we have over 400 providers right now, over 52 locations. So our goal is just to offer better quality of life to our patients, whereas they may not have been able to be as mobile to do the things they aspire to do, regardless of where they are in their life, things happen. And we've been very fortunate to consolidate a network of some of the best orthopedic physicians in the country. And we're just very lucky to be able to support them. Excellent. And I, of course, looked at your background. You have a very interesting background in different industries, which I love. And before you came into healthcare, I saw that you were in, uh, looks like government, defense, as well as banking and most recently healthcare. So how did you get into healthcare and how did you get into cyber? Oh goodness, oh, that's a loaded question. I could probably go on for days and there's not enough time. I will try to tell you the short version. So I'll start with cyber mm-hmm. because that's really where my journey into healthcare started. And ironically, I did not go to school for cybersecurity, nor did I go to school for IT. And, and I find it's really becoming more common For folks getting into cybersecurity, realizing you don't need a technical background, I actually wanted to be a nurse. And I applied for an accelerated nursing program after I got out of college for my four-year degree, and I did not get accepted. So I went right into the workforce because I wanted to make money and make my mark in the world. And I was a biomedical coordinator on, I guess we placed organ donations. That was my very first job out of school. Went into teaching after that. I always wanted to be a teacher. I love people. And then fell into a job in the DOD because I guess the high school I was at, I was a new teacher and they were downsizing, unfortunately. And being a new teacher, I was one of the first to go. So I met someone at a dog park and she vouched for my resume because of my analytic background in biology for my major. And I was a process improvement greenbelt for Northrop Grumman in the DOD. So it was shipbuilding is where I started and just started learning how businesses run. I've always, business has always fascinated me. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I really like security leadership because we deal a lot with business strategy. But, you know, long story short, learn various parts of the business, including uh, mission insurance, risk management, and audit and compliance was a huge one that fascinated me because it allows you to learn what other people do and how things function. And fell into a couple IT and information security contracts from a quality assurance and mission assurance risk management oversight role and fell into a threat intelligence contract as a program manager that I took on as an additional role to my mission assurance responsibilities because they trusted the relationship I built with my contracting officer. 
grew the program where they thought it wouldn't have the ability to be grown, taught myself cybersecurity, starting from the threat intelligence and kind of security operations and internally and cyber threat. And I had some really great people and noticed my interest and my passion and took me under their wing as mentors when I served in various agencies. Moved closer to home in Pennsylvania from the DOD area in the, you know, Washington, D.C. Applied for a cyber role, kind of master of all trades and finance um, in an institutional bank and helped them mature their program over six mm-hmm. years. Worked my butt off and had some people really put faith in me within the organization. Mm-hmm. Got a deputy CISO role there for a couple of years and then got recruited into crypto to build a best-in-class program from the ground up with someone I really admire, who was the former CISO of Penn Medicine. He was a phenomenal mentor, whether he knew it or not. But uh, always realized I was so always so mission-driven. So when you know everything happened in crypto and we were kind of looking for our next steps, I had the really great opportunity. My current CIO put faith in me that I could run a program by myself, and this is my first CISO role. So I always like people and I like business and I love training and I like mm-hmm. being mission driven and I cyber is challenging and I have to constantly stay challenged. I think it was a really good fit. Plus I being mission driven, patient care is mm-hmm. such a necessity and the amount of lives that you can touch even indirectly as a cyber professional in healthcare, it's invaluable for us That's as far as, you know, mission. No. No, that's that's right. And as a fellow autodidact, I applaud your journey. I love that. I was a writer coming out of school and yeah. fell into business and did a startup as a technical writer and quickly moved into other areas and took on different roles and et cetera. And this is my 11th company. So I guess I was a startup entrepreneur junkie as it turned right. out. Right. And you love it. Isn't it nice to see the tangible yeah. return on what you're doing? And it's so make- cool. It's almost like that instant gratification. And then you get to a point where the instant gratification stops and then you have to, things take a little bit longer to mature because that's just very natural. And you're like, oh God, so how do I fill the voids of instant gratification by having little wins? (laughs) Yeah, it always takes longer. It's so true. It just, it always takes so much longer than you originally projected. I look back on some of my early slide shows, projections and plans and I'm like cringe. I'm like, oh my God, we thought we were going to be here at this point. And then we, course you go through a pandemic that always helps too right so as you're building out a company so that's really interesting and i I love the progression and i love how you just continually take risks obviously throughout your career that led you to this place yeah i was kind of naive because i didn't consider them i'm not sure looking back if i considered them risky moves or not i just looked at the positive potential benefits of learning a lot of things so Thanks for bringing that up, man. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> Positive risk. I mean, everything we do, that's kind of the beauty of when I started Sensinet and headed down this risk management journey. And I realized, uh, and of course, I said I had to read everything about risks. And risks have been with us since the dawn of time, right? As sort of what makes us human is our ability to manage risks. And it's fascinating, but every day we wake up, whether we know it or not, and we're managing risks. The minute we get out of bed, the minute we cross the road, the minute we get in a car, et cetera. And so we take risks all the time and we will get to a question about risk. But for now, I would love to learn more about your journey and over the last couple of years, which has been difficult for a lot of people given the pandemic. What are you most proud of personally and professionally? I, oh boy. I'm my biggest critic. My husband and I have this conversation iteratively. 
I need to calm down and enjoy the little win. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be positive here and just say persevering. It's a difficult field period. It's a really difficult field to not accept, even excel in if you want to be management. Like everybody has a different goal mindset. So I try to keep that in mind when I answer these questions. But to be good at the path that I choose, especially through things, there was a significant turning point in my career during the time of the pandemic. So not only managing organizations through that while learning things that folks who have been in security longer than me, but kind of in the same position already knew. So I feel like I was playing catch up there mm -hmm. a little bit, but yeah, just appreciating where I am, I think, and realizing there's always going to be something to learn and you don't have to be perfect to have been successful at what you do, leaving it a little bit better for the next person and having the appropriate metrics and measures on your life and what constitutes success for you. I think right-sizing my personal expectations and realizing that it's okay not to give like 200% all the time, but you are still being successful because you're still successfully protecting your organizations. It's taken a lot to internalize that, but I think that's what I'm most proud that I have made headway there. I don't think I've perfected it at all because I'm still a little bit neurotic as I think a lot of us security folks are, but I'm making progress. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. No, I completely understand how you feel. You know, in the role, it is sort of a interesting organization. You're growing, you're developing. It looks like you're acquiring more customers and more relationships. As the CISO, what keeps you up at night? I'm going to go back to, am I doing enough? And that kind of stems from the threat landscape. And, you know, in any industry these days, we feel like we're often playing catch up. And you look at, I'll use an example of the whole AI conversation that's out there. You know, bad actors figure out how to exploit a technology that was released and developed for good. And we are trying to figure out how to counteract that and to defend against that and respond. And, you know, I just think we're always playing catch up. And if you had asked me in one sentence, what keeps me up? Am I missing something? No matter how mature my programs are, what am I going to miss? And is it going to be catastrophic to the business and the patients that we serve? Yeah, it's, it's the it's the things we don't know that are the things that we always I always worry about as well. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot There's we don't know. know. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. That's why we, I don't know. I, that's why I probably sleep three hours a night. You know, it's because <laughs> you get that constant. Uh, yeah, I need to have the point of it's okay not to know everything. It's yeah. going to happen. I mean, I look at what has gone on with Move It, for example. That's like mm -hmm. the what second or third significant supply chain attack we've had in two years. And yeah. well, look at all the companies that were affected, but from a positive light. They segmented their systems, they had defense in depth strategies in place, and they really minimized the damage where a lot of them could confidently say, yeah, they were kind of out on the list, but it didn't affect any customer data. So, I mean, that's a huge win for them. So I think that's what I strive towards. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's right. And as an industry, we're constantly learning how to improve. And, you know, I think the SolarWinds event and other events that we've had to deal with Log4J, et cetera, those threats continue to make us stronger as we go through them and develop that muscle memory to deal with them and, and put in the right controls. Um, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your 20 year old self? It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to fail. I know I actually posted something about this not too long ago about working with what you are given and not around it, especially because we all are just strapped for resources because of the ever growing threat landscape. And I mean, it is like just physically and financially impossible. They're all working together and we have to figure out how to. So 
for me, my peers and I joke about corporate terms, like putting a pin in it, circling back and failing fast or three of them that we were joking about recently. I fail, fail fast, right? Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to fail incrementally. It's okay not to be perfect and be the shining star all the time because while you think you're learning, you don't learn those life lessons when you don't fail. And some of the best life lessons, and it's taken me a little while to kind of digest and constantly figure out what everything means when it happens. But some of the Biggest life lessons and most significant ones that I've learned are from failing. For example, I had a huge, like significant race car crash in 2015, and it could have gone a lot worse than it did. It was bad, but I think about that still on everything that I do. And, you know, at the time, I just thought it was awful and catastrophic and like life was over. But as the years have gone on and I replay everything in my head, I realized that it was a really positive turning point in my life because of how I responded to it. So Mm -hmm. I think remembering that with the more responsibility, more people that look up to you, it is still okay to show them that it's okay to fail. And it's kind of how you use it. I know that's tough in cybersecurity for folks because there's so much at stake, but it's okay. And then build a program around allowing failure. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's so courageous to say that too, and to live it because most people have difficulty being vulnerable and being so authentic about their principles and then actually acting towards in support of those things. So I think that's terrific. I think you may have already answered this, but outside of healthcare and cyber, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this job? Probably racing more. And yeah, so I know you and I were talking before this, my husband and I drag race and we actually met years ago through the same series that we raced. And I have a huge passion for the intricacies of doing the work myself. I've always been a hands-on person. I'm hands-on in cyber. I am hands-on in my activities, but I mean, coincides all the risk management and the data analysis and all sorts of stuff that we do in racing and the strategy feeds directly into cyber. So I think that it, it challenges me just as much. And I like the risk management part. Like I just go back and forth every day about what I learned between the two. And I would love to learn. My husband is a phenom when it comes to building everything ourselves. And he's one of the most successful people in his class. And he always is. And he helps on national vehicles, like in major series. And it's his side job. But Mm. learning from him and maybe going a little bit further there. I don't know if I'm as good of a driver as a lot of other people, but you never know unless you spend the time, right? So describe it to someone that doesn't know drag racing. Like, What's it all about? So there are a couple different classes. So the strategies differ, but Essentially, you have a starting line and you either race a quarter mile or an eighth mile. And I'll explain it the way my dad explained it when I he first took me to my drag strip like years ago. And he's like, you want to go drag racing? And I was like, what's that? And he says, <laughs> when the light turns green, you get to go like really fast and then not get in trouble for it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. So it's essentially most racing, you know, it's whoever gets to the finish line first, the quickest mm-hmm. within the rails that are your rule book for whatever mm-hmm. class or series that you're racing. So yeah, you got to go really fast. My car is a Mustang body, but it's fully built, you know, got a caged. I help build the motor for it within spec of the class. So yeah, I get to drive that car that is not streetable anymore really fast and not get in trouble. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. 
<laughs> it's stressful too. Yeah. But I mean, it depends. It's your view, like your outlook on it, right? You can say what we do is really stressful or really fun, depending on glass half empty, glass full. It depends on the day. Some days I'm really frustrated and I'm like, that's not fun at all. And some days I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question because this is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. What is the riskiest thing you've ever done? Get married. <laughs> you would think I would say racing, right? But marriage is a lifelong commitment. I and love it. Go home. I'm a very I, committed person when it comes to decision making. I and I live that. with yeah, right? I love that answer. I love that answer. It's so true though. I mean, by the way, first time for that answer, which is great after like 30, 30 of these. I love when I hear something unique. So, and you're so correct. Like it's, you're so right. Getting married is so risky because you're committing to that individual for your lifetime. That's the whole point, right? And yeah, it's a risky decision. It is. Look, it's like a business relationship. It's probably more emotional debt. Disclaimer, you might be really invested in your business and more power to you, but same, same, right? It, it affects you financially, emotionally. You live it every day. You live and breathe it like you do with cybersecurity. So yeah, I would say there are a lot of correlations between marriage and kids and real life that, mm -hmm. I mean, I totally go back and forth and try to use my experiences there. Yeah, but good thing is our business arrangement's working out really well. So <laughs> I made a really good decision. <laughs> so low risk for you at the end yes, of the day. Yes, yeah, low point. risk, <laughs> uh, low probability of any issues. <laughs> That's great. Last question, hardest lesson in, throughout your career? Probably that it's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to miss things. And when it comes to bringing that into a leadership role, you really try to be that person that everybody on your team and even your peers throughout the company can look up to you and that has the answers for these folks. Because I say in healthcare, you can't expect a physician who is a master in their domain to also be a master in the security domain. Think of how long it has taken us to get this far in our craft. And we're not nearly to the point of perfection. And think of how much time and training has taken physicians to become masters of their craft. And not everybody will know everything. And it's okay to say, hey, you know, I'll get back to you. Or, hey, I learned from my former leader that it's okay to say, hey, I'm here to just build the team and make it work. And yeah, there are things I really need to know and I need to be able to deliver the message. I need to have a different skill set. And I think yeah. you're seeing that in the evolution of CISOs now. Mm -hmm. But to hire the really smart people that are masters in their domain because it's so specialized just like medicine is right now. So you don't have to kill yourself to find an answer right away unless it's really time sensitive for some significant reason. And being forthright about the fact that there's a lot that you still need to learn, I think has really taken me far in setting a, an understanding between me and my company that I work for and support my leadership to help build successful programs together. But it's tough. Like you always, right? I mean, you ever get to the point where you just want to be that leader that everybody needs from you and that you're going to have all the answers or not make a mistake? Yeah, it's, it's tough. So it is a hard thing. And I think the fact that you're self-aware and introspective probably goes a long way because people see that, I think, you know, when you're being honest with them and you're being, you know, you're, I don't know the answer to that. We're going to find out, but we're going to do it together versus putting blame or judgment on an individual because they didn't have the answer right away. I mean, that that goes a long way to... And I'm going to tell you, you made a really good point there. So on risk management, you talk a lot about setting the tone at the top and blame culture. 
being counterproductive. And I have seen far too many businesses. I don't think they realize it. It's just that everybody's under stress and that stress leads to blame because you can't answer everything. But the blame culture really causes a lot of issues with solidarity, solidarity within your organization. And, you know, you hope you get to it and are able to fix that before it's too late. But often you get to the point where it's pervasive and like you read horror stories about that and you've seen, you know, I, I really look up to other people and pay attention to what other people are doing. Even though I'm racing, you're supposed to put blinders on. I laugh about that all the time. Some guys even like tape their helmets so they don't look at the guy next to them. But we learn from each other, like how we're going to succeed. But yeah, I think that's a really important statement that you need is just avoiding blame culture throughout the organization will lead to better, more team-centric success. I'll always refer to this statement that someone told me years ago, the fish rots from the head down. Like if at the top you have this culture that is just ugly and centered around blame and centered around judgment and not learning and really not just saying the words, but actually acting in a way that actually supports the behavior that you want. And it is tough. It takes a lot of self-actualization, I Mm -hmm. think, to live what you're speaking. It's one of those like, you can't do what I say and not what I do. And I kind of joke about that. I keep in touch with a couple of coworkers from previous roles were really close. And sometimes I give really good advice. And then the one that I used to work with calls me out on it, which is why we made a great team. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I have to be the person that lives it. So having these people around you to kind of keep you in check really helps with that and understanding that there's a trust and transparency relationship there. Absolutely. Very good. So any last parting comments or thoughts for our listeners that you'd like to share? Everybody takes a different path. I know this podcast was a lot about my individual path to security. And I will tell you, I'll make that correlation. You can try to take the identical path to someone else that you know, and just like racing, and you can do the same build piece by piece, the way you tune the car, et cetera, drive exactly the same, but it will never turn out identical. I have had guys build spitting image twin cars of someone else's because they did really well and it performed entirely differently. The car felt different, performed different. So take your own path, but understand how to take those little lessons out of each experience and apply them to whatever incremental goals that you're setting for yourself. I think learning to learn from every situation is going to really help you succeed in whatever you put your mind to. I love that. And that's a great way to end the program today. This is Ed Gaudet signing off from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And if you're on the front lines defending and protecting patient safety, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information and how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T dot com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.